faces and for you to see my beautiful face too, right? Um, but today we're going to be uh, talking about, I mean, it's Palm Sunday. All over the nation, all over the world, people are talking about Palm Sunday. They're talking about this triumphal entry. And uh, I want to, uh, I, I, well, first of all, I'm not going to buck the trend, right? I mean, that's what this is. This is Palm Sunday. This is when we talk about it. This is when we think about it. But today, I want to challenge you all. We're going to try to look at it today with fresh eyes. Fresh eyes. So... Humans are very adaptable creatures, right? We can adjust to just about any situation. We live in, in all kinds of crazy places all over the world, in the cold, in the heat, in the jungles, on an island. I mean, anywhere you go, you can find humans and they've adapted to their surroundings. It's one of the gifts that we have as a species is that we can um, find something and grow accustomed to it, grow used to it, and incorporate it and just make it a, n a normal part of our everyday life. It can be a great help, but it can also become a liability for us. For instance, how many of you guys have ever gotten in the car and you're driving down the road and maybe it's a road you've been down a hundred times before and because you're so familiar with it, you're just not even really paying attention to it, right? You're more worried about drumming on your steering wheel and singing along with Katy Perry or Taylor Swift or whoever your, uh, uh, you know, your dirty secret that you love is uh, in there. Um, but, you know... It's one of those things where when you're driving, it's a, it's a very dangerous activity. A lot of people are injured or hurt in those uh, situations. And so sometimes that familiarity that, okay, I've driven through this neighborhood a thousand times before, you're not watching. And then maybe you don't see a hazard in the road until it could be potentially too late. But it's not really something that is, is your fault so much. It's just the way humans are wired. When we see something over and over and over and over again, we just get used to it, right? Um, the same thing happens in our relationships, right? Maybe you've got uh, a boyfriend or a girlfriend or a husband or a wife, and, and at first all those little sweet things that they do for you, you you're so appreciative of them. You, you notice them all. But then after you've been married for 10, 15, 20 years, you stop noticing that, hey, you know, he was tired when he came home from work too, but he took out the garbage. Or, you know, she had a really rough day at work, and yet she didn't complain. She came in, she cooked a beautiful meal for all of us. Or however you've got your chores uh, figured out in your house, we all get to a place where if we're not careful, we can begin to take our significant others for granted. You know, all those things that they're doing, and they're doing out of love and out of service for us, we don't even acknowledge them anymore, and, and then all we're focusing on are the things that frustrate us, right? The things that bug us. And so, whereas, you know, that adaptability, we get used to it, right? Now, for instance, my wife, she goes down every summer to visit her family, and she takes Ben, too, so I'm usually a bachelor for a week and a half to two weeks almost every summer, and I realize just how helpless I truly am, Right? <laughs> I mean, you mean I have to operate this washer and dryer? I don't know that, that I know how to do that, right? Beyond just tumbling something again. And then when it comes to meals, you know, I, I hit up a lot of restaurants that week, you know, because I'm not allowed in the kitchen. Uh, or, I, or I'll call mom and I'll say, hey, what are you guys doing for dinner tonight, you know? Um, but we, we take these things for granted. It happens with our children, right? Um, our children are with us. Sometimes it feels like 24-7, and if there were 25 hours in the day, sometimes it feels like they're with you that long too, right? But what we don't realize is that our kids are only with us for a very short amount of time. I mean, Ben is 14 and it's getting closer and closer to that 18-year-old date. And I'm thinking about, you know, well, what's going to happen at that point, you know, because he's going to be gone. He's our only one and then it'll just be me and Elizabeth and she'll have to look at my ugly face all day long, right? But the point is, the time that he's with us is a very short period of time, and so we can't take that opportunity for granted. And then on the flip side of that, if you're the child, we take our parents for granted, but they're not going to be with us forever. Um, we take our living situation. Uh, for instance, so many people will gripe about uh, small-town living, right? Because they, they think, well, you know, everybody's in everybody's business. Uh, you know, there, there's nothing to do here in town. All the kids do is just, you know, they, 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 they cause trouble. They're cruising the strip because there's nothing else to do in this little town. But we take for granted all the benefits that come with that as well. Friendly neighbors, a good school system, safe neighborhoods, people that look out for each other. But then on the flip side of that, if you live in a big city, there's benefits to that too. There's something to going on every weekend here in Louisville, right? Uh, you don't have to worry about are they going to have the roads plowed and all that kind of stuff. Because we live in a larger city, they have all those systems set up. So it's like no matter what situation we're in, we can, as humans, adapt to that. 
when I was younger, my parents, they moved around a lot because we were in ministry. And I remember one time they asked me, they said, you know, where was your favorite place that we've ever lived? And I, I couldn't really come up with an answer. And I don't know if I was just being diplomatic or not, but even from a very young age, I, I said, you know, every place had its pluses and its minuses is how I put it, but pros and cons. Even from a very young age, I realized that there are good things and there are bad things, and we, we will adjust and adapt to almost anything that life throws our way. The problem, though, is when this ability to absorb and adapt, it affects our spiritual walk, too. Because what we see, those things that, that, that you know, it, it, it's awesome to us, right? When we first experience the power and the presence of God, it's just mind-boggling, right? When you feel God in a space, when you feel God touching you, it's amazing, right? But then you get used to it. Or, or maybe you've read that scripture a time or two, and it just kind of gets you know, familiar to you. And, and that familiarity gives you a little bit of a coldness. You're like, because I've, I've been here before. I've done that before. And so the challenge is um, we have to avoid that air of familiarity when it comes to Bible stories. It becomes easy to go through the motions of observance and celebration. It's like, okay, what do we do? Well, it's Sunday. We go to church. Well, we, we should sing because they're singing, you know, because that's what we do every Sunday. It just becomes your pattern, right? And you get used to it, and it doesn't really touch you like it did at one time. So the challenge is to constantly be approaching all of these things, all the things that life sends you with fresh eyes at all times. We need to be fully engaged in the experience and connect to the important truths that are held within them. So we're going to approach our scripture today, John chapter 12. So if you've got your Bible, you want to follow along, we're going to be in John chapter 12, and we're going to read verses 12 through 19. I'm using a little bit different translation than we normally use because I, it's not going to be completely foreign, but just maybe just a couple words different will make something stick out to you a little bit different. So I'm reading from the, from the Christian Standard Bible. It says, The next day, when the large crowd that had come to the festival heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, they took palm branches and went out to meet him. They kept shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written. Do not be afraid, daughter Zion. Look, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first. However, when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and that they had done these things to him. Meanwhile, the crowd which had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to testify. This is also why the crowd met him, because they had heard that he had done this sign. Then the Pharisees said to one another, You see, you've accomplished nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. This was a, a, a unique event in the life of Israel, right? Periodically, they would all go back to Jerusalem. They would, they would go back to celebrate the different festivals. You had Passover. You had the Festival of Shelters. You had all these different community events where they would come together and let's observe, let's worship, let's remember what God has done for our community. But this year, that Passover, there was something a little bit different. We had a little bit of a red carpet situation going on out there, right? We see all these pictures of stars and movie stars, and they're analyzing, oh, look at her hair, look at his suit, you know, what designer made that, um, and, and we want to break it all down and, and because we're, we want to know what's going on with these important people, right? And it's a little bit what was going on there in Jerusalem. They heard that Jesus was there. Jesus was a rock star, right? He had raised someone from the dead, and so they're like, I got to go check this out, and when they got there... They said, hey, everybody else has palm branches. Everybody else is waving them around. I guess I will too, you know, and they all joined in and it became this, this moment, a moment in time that was very different from any other Passover that they had had before or since. And so um, we have to really look at this moment and see what were the people seeing there? What were they reacting to? Because um, something was going on there that was different than typical. So let's take a look at it and let's try to use our fresh eyes. Well, the first thing, when we look at this, when we look at the triumphal entry, when we look at Palm Sunday, we see a couple things. First, we see a very, very strong declaration of love, okay? Jesus was coming to give himself as a sacrifice for us. And this was very unusual that he would be involved in something where people are, you know, worshiping him and, you know, making, making a big deal over him and that kind of thing. Because we see that Jesus often avoided the spotlight. 
He didn't often, you know, call everybody together and say, hey, it's me, uh, come to my event. You know, he wasn't posting flyers everywhere and all that. Obviously, he was out interacting and teaching and healing and, and performing signs and miracles. But typically, when things got a little bit too much, when, when the crowds got a little bit out of hand, when they started taking things the wrong way, he would withdraw. He'd back up. It's not time yet. It's not time. You look in John chapter 2, he's at the wedding at Cana, and his mom says, hey, Jesus, they're out of wine. He said, what's that got to do with me? My time has not come, right? And even though he did what his mama told him, because he was a good mama's boy, right? Um, he was saying, it's not my time yet. I have to wait. I'm conscious of this. In John chapter 6, he feeds the 5,000. He, he hands out the fish. He hands out the bread. And people are like, whoa, this is awesome, right? Free food, right? If you want to, people to show up to an event, you promise them free food, they're going to be there, right? And that's what had happened. They showed up. They got the free food. And they said, this dude rocks. He should be the king, right? It said that Jesus realized they were about to take him by force and make him the king. And he was like, wait a minute. It's not time yet i got to back up. You guys aren't getting this yet. It's not about the free food, right? You came because you, you heard I was healing people. You came because you heard you got free lunch. But that's not what this is about. It's, the time isn't ripe yet. He stepped back. In John chapter 7, we see another festival. And his brothers started teasing him, right? The ones that didn't believe that he was the Son of God. They said, hey, why don't you all go, go on down there, big shot, right? Everybody wants to see you. Everybody wants to hear from you. Why don't you go on down? And Jesus said, no, 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 no. The time isn't right yet. My time has not come. Um, often when he would heal somebody, instead of saying, hey, let me get your testimonial picture. I'll put it on my Instagram, and then everybody can see what happened, right? That's not what he was doing. He was saying, uh, don't tell anybody. He's like, this, this miracle, it was a healing for you, right? So don't go out and blowing, you know, blowing trumpets and, and making announcements because that's not what it's about. The time has not yet come. But then we find here in John chapter 12 that there was a change. There was a shift. He had, he had avoided the spotlight. He'd avoided being pushed into a way that he didn't want to go. He'd, he'd kind of taken the back burner until today. So what changed? What was different? Well, first of all, we see that Jesus initiated it. All right? It was like there was a, there, there was a realization, and, and although not everybody got it, he realized that, okay, the time has now come. He made arrangements. He said, go get the donkey. He said, go bring the donkey to me. If someone stops you, tell them the master needs him. Bring it right now. We're going to do this. All right? He realized that the time had come. Uh, the timing was important. Why? Because Jesus was going to sacrifice himself. He was going to, to give himself for us, for the forgiveness of sins. And it coincided with a very particular festival. It coincided with the Passover. So why was it important that all those other times that, that the people had tried to elevate him and bring him to the fore, or when the Pharisees had tried to bring him down, in every instance, Jesus had just been like, it's not time yet, it's not time yet. But here, it was time. Why? Well, at that very time, you know, they were preparing for the Passover, and if you're not familiar with the Passover, the Passover was a festival that they did every year to remember when God redeemed them, freed them from slavery, set them up as their own people, right? He actually purchased their lives, right? They purchased their lives with the blood of the lamb drawn on the doorpost. And so every year, the Jewish people, they would come together and they would do that. They would slaughter the lambs and they would mark their doorposts with the blood. And any that had been marked with the blood had been purchased. They'd been bought, they'd been redeemed, and they were free. When Jesus was dying on the cross, the timing of it, the way it worked out, it's very, very likely that when Jesus was hanging on that cross, that's when all the other Jews were out there slaughtering the lambs. They were sacrificing animals for a temporary fix, and Jesus was providing a permanent fix. So there was a timing for that. He was more than just a little lamb. He was the lamb of God that had come to take away the sins, not of just this one house, not of just this one family. He'd come to take away the sins of the whole world. So the timing was very important. The other thing is that Jesus wanted to point out that his participation in this event was voluntary, right? They might have arrested him, but only because he allowed it, right? They might have taken him and beaten him and humiliated him, but only because he was a, a, a willing participant. Many times in Scripture, it said that his enemies had tried to grab him. They tried to lay hands on him, but it says he, he got away. He evaded them. He slipped away. Why? Because the time had not yet come. They could not take him 
Why? Because he had not allowed them to do so. He even says as much to Pilate. Pilate says, don't you realize? Why aren't you answering me? He said, don't you realize I have the power of life and death over you? I can set you free or I can send you to die. And Jesus' only response was, the only reason you have this power over me is because I let you have this power. Right? Jesus was there because he chose to be there. He wasn't being forced into it. And so knowing what lay ahead, knowing that he was going to be betrayed, knowing that he was going to be humiliated, that he was going to be beaten and suffer, knowing that he was going to die, he chose to walk into that moment. That's why the triumphal entry was so important. This was Jesus saying, the time has come. I'm going to do what I was sent to do. And so that's why it was such a special, special moment. Um, Knowing that he was going to face that death, he still chose to participate, and that shows us the love that Jesus has for us. That is the, what this moment is trying to communicate to us, right? Even though they were giving him the red carpet treatment, even though they were waving branches around and singing his song, ultimately it wasn't about Jesus. It was about what he was about to do, right? It was about what he was going to do for you and me. So that is how we see the strong declaration of love that God had for us in this event. The second thing that we see is we see a reason for hope, okay? In this passage that we read today, John quotes from Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. And this was a prediction that one day a king would ride into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey, all right? And this prediction had been made about 550 years prior to this event. That is a long time to wait, right? How many times have we been impatient because we had to wait a day or two, right? We want things right now, right? We, we don't want to wait six seconds for our Pop-Tart in the microwave. We want it now, right? We all sign up for Amazon Prime because when we order it, we want it in two days. I don't want to wait till next week. I want it in two days, right? We want it now. And yet they had waited 550 years for the fulfillment of this promise. It was made at a time when Israel had no king And they were not in a good place. In fact, they had just been judged and sent into exile in Babylon. They'd spent 70 years enslaved in another land. And then then Zechariah has the audacity to say, hey, God's making you a promise. One day you're going to have a king again. One day he's going to ride in, not as a conquering warrior, but as a prince of peace on the back of a donkey. And so when Jesus came, it was the fulfillment of a plan that had been centuries in the making. And I think it's important that we focus on that for a minute, too. God had a plan. He had been orchestrating this for years, all right? And this plan did not end with the coming of Christ. God's plan is still at work today, in our world today. God is not surprised by what's taking place in our society. He's not surprised that there are school shootings. He's not surprised that there are police being shot for doing their job. He's not surprised that, that uh, foreign countries are trying to influence us and, and all the different things that are going on. None of this that's going on is God saying, oh, no, wh- where did that come from? He knew it was coming, right? But he has a plan that he's working despite all of the many ways that we try to mess things up. He may not be pleased with what's going on, but never once is God caught off guard. He's incorporated it all into his plan. He's made it a part of his plan. This world that we live in, sometimes we feel like it's running out of control, right? Sometimes we flip on the news, and of course, they're not going to tell you the, the, the nice things, right? They, they focus on the negative things. They focus on the newsworthy items. Oh, so-and-so died in a car accident. Oh, you know, there's an outbreak of measles in Kansas, or you know, whatever it is. They always focus on the negative stuff, and then they try to balance it out by showing us one little feel-good story about the Humane Society at the end of the news program, right? But, you know, all of these things, you know, the world is not out of control, right? God is not sitting up in heaven, wringing his hands saying, oh no, what am I going to do now? You know, this came out of nowhere. I don't know what to do. He's not doing that. God is in control. He has a plan. He's working the plan. And so we have to trust him. Now, here's the important thing. God's plan is, is multifaceted. It's on many different levels. God has a plan for, for our country. All right. Well, first of all, he's got a plan for the world. But then he's got a plan for the United States. He's got a plan for Kentucky. He's got a plan for Louisville. He's got a plan for you and me. See, God's plan extends to all levels. All right? And we may not always understand what's going on in our life. There's been a lot of times in my life where I was like, God, what is going on? I don't understand this. What are you even trying to tell me through this circumstance? 
what are you trying to build in me? What are you trying to show me, right? And we don't always understand it. But the simple fact of the matter is, is we don't have to understand it. We just have to trust him. I wanted to point out something from the scripture today. It said that um, his disciples did not understand these things at first. However, when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and that they had done these things to him. So here we are, we see even the disciples who were there with Jesus, they were there on that day. They were there when it happened. They didn't get the gravity of the situation. They didn't understand what was really going on until much, much later. And then they remembered, oh yeah, you remember? You remember that time that Jesus came into Jerusalem and he was on the donkey and all the people were waving their branches, right? And, and wait a minute, what, didn't, didn't Zechariah say something about that a few years past? Right? Hindsight is twenty twenty. They figured it all out, right? Ben, when he was younger, he would often ask us, he'd say, hey, mom, hey, dad, did you remember that time when this happened? And it was something that happened like five minutes earlier. And it's like, yeah, son, I, re- I remember that. I was, I was here. I was in the room with you, you know? But, you know, it's one of those things where you, you have to process, you have to think about it. And sometimes that's really hard. It's really, really hard when you're going through a tough time, when your life isn't working out the way you wanted it to do, you're dealing with something you don't want to deal with, right? You'd much rather bury your head in the sand, crawl back in the bed, not deal with it. And it's really hard when you're in those kind of situations to say, yep, God, I understand you got a plan. I don't know what it is, but I trust you. I'm going to rely on you. I'm going to look to you. It's hard to do, all right? The fact that we don't understand that, that God is, is working, the fact that we don't understand the plan doesn't mean that the plan isn't in progress. Sometimes, sometimes you just have to do your job, right, and trust that everything else is going to work out in the end. See, God's plan, it was a huge plan, all right? It had started from, from day one, right? When Adam and Eve, when they messed up, when they disobeyed God, when they went against him, From that very moment, he made his first promise about redemption. He said, one day, one day, we're going to make a way to fix this. And he started that plan from that very point. And it had gone on for years and years. And here we are, the triumphal entry, Palm Sunday, people walking into Jerusalem. This was that pivotal moment. God would not have gone to all that trouble to create such a huge plan to orchestrate and execute a plan over centuries that involved nations and countries and kings and, and, and all these kinds of things. He, he, he brought it all together so that it would fit together and, and what he desired to happen would come to pass. He would not have gone to all of that trouble unless it was going to be a game changer, right? I mean, all of us, if we're going to do something, we sit there and we weigh it out. And it's like, I can put, invest this much effort and energy into this, but is the result that I'm going to get, is it going to be worth the output, Right? God would not have done all of that. He would not have pulled all those strings. He would not have set up all those dominoes unless it was going to be a very, very important thing. So this, it, it, it's a game changer, and that's why we have a reason for hope is because God was not just you know, flying by the seat of his pants. He was putting things in line. Now, I want to shift gears with you guys for just a minute. Let's talk about this idea of moments right? This triumphal entry was a moment in time, all right? And, and moments are very important to us. You know, if we think back on our life, we don't remember everything that occurred, right? If I think about, you know, my childhood, I don't remember everything that happened in my childhood, right? I remember a few select moments, and, and those moments are important, and, and that's why it's important that we're engaged in them. I think that's one of the reasons that it, 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 it's such a, a terrible thing that we're so wrapped up in, in media consumption, whether it's TV or Netflix or, or YouTube or whatever it is. We're so caught up in these things that we can't experience the moment. Recently, we took the teenagers down to, to Gatlinburg and Pigeon Forge for, for Winterfest. While we were there, there were a ton of fun moments. You know, I try to capture a few of them. If you guys follow me on Facebook, I, I might tweet out something funny that somebody said or did. Um, we take group pictures, right? Everybody gather in. Let's all get over here. Everybody put on your cheesy smile. You know, we try to capture those moments. At one point, we took the group and we went up on, onto that new uh, Alpine coaster, right? Anybody ever seen that where you push the handles down and you slide down the mountain? Man, that was fun. That was good times. If you haven't done it, go do it. It's great fun. But here's one of the things, though. 
As we were getting onto the, onto the coaster, a few of the kids started pulling out their cell phones, right? They're opening up their video camera, and they're going to ride down the mountain with their video camera in their hand. Well, the inevitable happened. One of them dropped their cell phone. Fortunately, it happened early enough in the trip, like it was just after they took off, so the, the attendant was able to walk. He went down some stairs, and he grabbed the phone. He brought it back up. Didn't even phase him. I said, that's probably happened a time or two before, and he's like, every day, Right? <laughs> But the thing is, we're so worried about capturing the moment that we don't experience the moment. But we have to be careful that we're engaged in every moment that we're in. Now, unfortunately, we didn't get to be there in the Bible time, but we can encounter it, we can engage it by meditating on it, by putting ourselves there, by thinking about what was the importance of this event. Those, those moments, right, those peaks and troughs, those are the things that are important in life. When we go on vacation, we don't remember the, the 12-hour drive, right, every minute of that 12-hour drive with the kid in the back throwing goldfish crackers at the back of your head and all that kind of stuff. We don't remember that. We just remember, hey, when we got there, man, wasn't Florida awesome, right? Wasn't Disneyland the bomb, right? Uh, and, and companies are very careful, right? They think about that. I mentioned Disneyland. I've never been, but from what I can tell, uh, from the people who've told me and, and things that I've seen about it, it, it you, you spend a lot of time standing in lines, right? Anybody here ever been to Disney? Do you spend a lot of time standing in line? Sometimes it's hot. Sometimes it's humid. Sometimes your kids are whining, and they need to go to the bathroom for the fourth time that hour, right? And, and, and but... Disney doesn't want you to remember those moments. So they're very careful about crafting other moments, right? There will be certain times and places where you walk around a corner and it's like, oh my goodness, there's Goofy, right? And Goofy came over here and he gave something to my kid and that was a moment, right? And, and all of the, the heat and all of the walking and the tired feet and the standing in lines, all that becomes worth it when there's this moment, this magical moment that was created. Right? So, so people try to leverage this. There's a, a hotel in California. It's called the Magic Castle. It's in L.A. Now, you think about it. L.A.'s probably got some of the best hotels in the world, right? Five-star places where these movie stars and rock stars and all that, they stay at these places. Yet there's one hotel that consistently rates higher than every other uh, hotel in L.A., and it's this one called the Magic Castle. And it's just a little dinky little hotel right? It's just a normal hotel. It's got a few little kitschy retro um, uh, decorations and stuff in the rooms. Everything's painted like a bright yellow color and all that. But how do they get all these high ratings? It's about the moments. It's about the experience. When you go to the Magic Castle Hotel, you can call the front desk at any time. And you can say, I want a snack, and they will bring you a Coke and some Skittles. When you are down at the, at the, the pool, you can tell them, uh, you know, hey, I'm getting ready to get out. They'll bring you warm towels, Right? They even have a special red telephone there by the poolside that is the popsicle hotline. You, you pick it up the phone and you tell them, I want a popsicle. And they bring out, they come out in the butler clothes with a silver tray with all the different array of popsicles for you to choose from, right? And they're not charging an arm and leg for this kind of service, but they know, hey, if I'm going to compete with these big five star hotels, I got to do something to create a moment, right? That'll be important, that'll stick out in someone's mind. We have a few opportunities in our life to experience a moment. And see, we actually craft moments. We make moments. Um, today, we had a baby dedication. All right? There's no playbook for that. Um, you know, there's nothing special. If we'd forgotten to do it, it's not like, oh, well, they forgot to dedicate her. She's going to hell. You know, that's not the, the kind of thing. But we create, this, we create this moment. Why? Because it's something important. Right? We, 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 we create these uh, we create these ceremonies. Uh, we look at birthdays. We look at graduations. We look at retirement parties. All these different things. We create moments where we can celebrate an achievement, an accomplishment, uh, celebrate a person that's important to us, right? I'm reminded, I love the, the, the character Ron Swanson on Parks and Recs. I love how his, his, his attitude towards everything. I think he's my spirit animal. And he comments on birthday cards. And he said, birthdays are, were just created by Hallmark to sell cards. Right? I feel a little bit like that myself. But in truth, we really do. We manufacture these moments. In our society, we celebrate birthdays. But if you go to somewhere like North Korea, did you know they don't celebrate birthdays in North Korea? They celebrate one birthday a year. The, the great leader. He's the only one. So when you ask them, how old are you? When's your birthday? They just look at you with a blank face. They're like, I don't know. I mean, that's not important. That's not, that's not a moment that they've created in their society. So we do, we craft and we create these moments because we're trying to say this moment is important. 
When we have a wedding, we'll spend thousands of dollars and thousands of hours trying to make sure that that moment is perfect. We want to create a moment that will stand out in our memory, a time when we came together with our family and something important happened. That's what was happening here at the triumphal entry. It was a moment. The time had come. It, it, all the little dominoes had, had fallen into line. We were there at that point. And so it was time to create that moment. That is the point when we have religious observances, when we have uh, rituals, when we, when we do things, right, is to remember a moment. So when we observe Palm Sunday, Maundy Thursday, Good Friday, and even Easter next week, we have a chance to enter into that moment again. We do it again at Christmas time, right? We tell the story of how the, the shepherds came and the star and the wise men and all that. Why? We're trying to transport ourselves into that moment to remember this moment where something important happened. This was something important. Something important happened here. And it, it was a declaration of God's love and it was, it was hope for the future with us. So you might say, okay. Good. I can put myself in it. I can sit there and I can ruminate on it. I can imagine. I can say, okay, I'm in first century Israel. Was it hot? Was it dry? Was it dusty? What kind of clothes was I wearing? Were they scratchy? Did they look good? Right? We can think, what did I smell? What did I taste? What did I feel? What did I hear? We can transport ourselves into that moment. And you might say, okay, that's a fun mental exercise, but what's the point? Well, the point is something important was happening, and you can't let all of that the, the, the side stuff to distract you from what was truly important. So let me ask you something. Some of us in this room, we have trouble connecting with that love of God that was on display here at, at, the, at the triumphal entry. Perhaps we failed God. Perhaps we're ashamed of some of the choices that we've made, and we think that it's impossible to imagine that God could love us that much. My friend, you need to look with fresh eyes at this parade into Jerusalem. Jesus is not surprised by your failures. Nothing that you do, when you mess up, it doesn't catch him off guard. In fact, that was the very reason he went to Jerusalem, because he knew you were going to mess up. He knew you were going to mess it up. He came there to deliver you from all your mess-ups, right? That was God's love for you. He knows what you've done. He knows what you're going to do. And he came and he sacrificed himself. Why? So that you could be clean, so that you could be redeemed, so that you could be on a right standing with God. His invitation is simple, right? He doesn't say, okay, you screwed up. Now there's all these different things that you have to do to, to make it right again. You don't have to stand on one foot and pat your head and say, I'm sorry, 27 times. Nothing like that. All he said was, he said, come to me, you who are heavily burdened, and I will give you rest. And yet, some of us, we can't connect to the love that's in that statement. God loved you so much. He wants to give you rest. He wants to give you forgiveness. He wants to give you redemption. Connect to that moment. Maybe you're going through a difficult time in your life. Maybe things just aren't working out the way they're supposed to, right? You might have thought, hey, I'm 47 years old. I thought I would be in a different place in my life by this point, you know? Or, you know... I don't understand. I, I did all the right things. I took my kid to church. I did what I was supposed to do. I, I, I took them to VBS and sent them to church camp. And why aren't they serving the Lord? You know, we, we look at these things and sometimes we're going through a tough time and it can feel like life is out to get us. Sometimes we might even, we might not want to say it, but we might even feel like God is out to get me, right? The things I'm going through in my life is because God is punishing me for something I've done. That's not what was going on here. See, you need to look again at this parade with some fresh eyes, all right? If God loved you so much that he would send his son to die for you, why would he then turn around and smack you over something petty, right? That's not who God is. Realize this. Jesus gave his life for you, and he loves you with a depth of love that is unfathomable, right? Has anybody here ever looked at someone that you love, and you tell them, and you're like, I love you? And they're like, yeah, yeah, I love you too, right? And you're like, no, 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 you don't get it. I love you. And, and sometimes the language just fails you, right? You can't even put it into words, how, the, the depth of emotion that you're feeling, right? You look at your kid and you, you, know, you, you just beam with pride, right? It doesn't matter what they did. It doesn't matter if they haven't brushed their teeth in three weeks. You still look at them and you're like, man, that's my son. I love him, right? And think, if you feel that way about a smelly kid... Think about how God feels about you, 
right? He loves you. He can't even express it all. He couldn't even tell you how much you loved, that he loved you and get you to truly understand it. So he had to show you. How did he show you? He went and he died for you. All right? John 15, 13 tells us that there's no greater love that anyone can have for someone else than to lay down their life for them, right? So what did Jesus do? He laid down his life for you. So when you're going through those tough times, when you're, when you're facing things and you're, you're like, this is not how it's supposed to be, and life is out to get me, and God is out to get me, and this is not what was supposed to happen, remember this, Jesus went to a cross and he died on your behalf and in your place. God's love for us is so great that he wouldn't allow needless suffering. If you are suffering, if you're going through something in your life, it's because there's a purpose for that, right? Go back to the thing. God has a plan, all right? So if, if there's something in your life that ain't real great, maybe God's trying to show you something. Maybe God's trying to, you know, sometimes, sometimes the remedy is a little bit painful too, right? And if we want to get to that cure, then we got to go through the painful remedy to get there. I think about a friend of mine who, whose son recently had to undergo some, some chemotherapy treatment. Chemotherapy's terrible, right? Any of us had family members that go through that? And you have to experience that, and there's the hair loss and the nausea and all these different side effects that go along with the treatment. And it's not fun, right? But you have to go through that pain to get you to the cure on the other side of that. And sometimes we have to do that in our life. So that's another thing that we can think about. God is not out to get you. God is not out to beat you down. He's there for you. Maybe your life is characterized by loneliness or a feeling that you've been forgotten. Anybody ever been there before? Anybody ever thought, nobody likes me, everybody hates me, think I'll eat some worms, right? I've had days like that. There are days, there, I mean, I'll be honest, I mean, I think it's part of the human condition. There are times when you walk around the house and you think, you know what, if I were gone, would anybody even miss me? Right? Maybe it'd be easier for them. Then they wouldn't have to put up with me, right? Instantly, the world would be a prettier place if I just weren't here, right? But, and, and I know I'm making light of it now, but when you are feeling lonely, when you are feeling alone, when you are feeling like, I don't matter, man, that can be crippling, right? Well, you need to go back and look at this uh, triumphal entry with some fresh eyes. Because, see, when Jesus walked into that uh, city, when Jesus walked towards his death, when Jesus walked towards the, the, the fulfillment of the prophecy, he was doing it with you on his mind. He was thinking about you. You were important enough that he purchased your freedom, your redemption. All right? There's not a single one of us in here that isn't important. All right? Jesus died so that you could have entrance into the family of God. All right? Think about that. We feel alone. You're not alone. If you're a believer, you have a family. You have a heavenly father that loves the socks off of you. And guess what? You've got brothers and sisters that are here to walk with you. And so when you're home and you're feeling lonely, you're feeling down, you're feeling like you don't matter, just remember you matter. You matter to all of us. I was having a conversation the other day with somebody. He was talking about some plans that he had made in his life and how they weren't working out the way he thought they were going to do it. And, and he even said something about, you know, maybe I just need to go on down the road or do, you know, change my plans or whatever. And I just, I told him, I said, I want to stop you right there and I want to tell you something. You're my brother. I said, we may not be blood relatives, but I'm your brother in Christ. And so when I see your disappointment that your plans didn't happen, I said, that hurts me, right? And we have to realize that when we are part of a family, we do matter. There's no reason for us to be lonely. So when we feel lonely, when we feel deserted, when we feel unimportant, right? Remember that you are significant enough for Jesus to go to the cross on your behalf. He knows you and he loves you. It says that God has counted the hairs on your head. I love you guys, but I don't want to know how many hairs you got on your head, right? <laughs> Uh, you know, we, we, Elizabeth and I were talking about that the other day. She had a little scratch on her hand, and I thought maybe like the cat had got her. And she said, no, I've had that scar for like seven years. And she was amazed. She was like, how do you not know this? We've been together for so long. How have I not told you this story or whatever? But I thought about that. It's like, you know, how often do we really, I mean, like, we don't know everything about each other, right? And, but God does. God knows everything about you. You're that important to him. You know, it is so easy for us to talk about the love of God. We'll talk about it. We'll read devotion books about it. We'll tell other people that God loves them. We'll sing songs about it. We'll have the radio cranked to 12 and, and just be singing at the top of our lungs. It's so easy to talk about the love of God. It's a whole other thing 
to feel it. All right? It's a whole other thing to accept it. Because too many times we feel like we're unworthy or we feel like we don't deserve it. It's so easy to talk about the love of God, but we have to accept it. So if you are feeling alone, look at this, look at this uh, triumphal entry with some fresh eyes. Maybe your life is on cruise control, especially your spiritual life. Think about it. We take things for granted. We listen to Christian music, we read our Bible, we watch, uh, we watch our favorite TV preacher, we listen to our podcasts, we, you know, we, we kind of get into a routine and we just kind of go through the motions, and if we're not careful, we get to a place where we're listening to a lot of things, but we're not actually hearing anything. And we have to be careful. We need to look again at Scripture. We need to look again at what we're reading. We need to look again at what we're saying and speaking into our lives and look at it with some fresh eyes. See, the whole point of the Bible, the whole point of the story of Jesus, the whole point of it all being laid out and preserved over centuries and, and millennia for us to still be able to, to read and witness and experience is that God is revealing his love for us. He reveals himself through creation, through scripture, through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, through authors, through friends. God is constantly revealing himself to you. And sometimes, we get so used to this revelation that it just goes in one ear and out the other. It's not even sinking in. And we need to sometimes stop and take, take stock and say, you know what? This is amazing. You know, it's like that song we were singing today. God, you're amazing. Oh, so amazing. Oh, how glorious. Oh, how marvelous. It's easy to sing the songs, right? Because everybody else around you is singing them. But when's the last time you looked at God and thought, man, you are amazing, God. We have to put ourselves in that place. Perhaps it's time for you to bow down before his throne, to give him the honor and the praise that he desires and he deserves. You know, it, lip service is not enough. So here's, here's a couple questions for you. You might admire God, right? There's a lot of people that say, you know, Jesus was a great man. He taught great wisdom. I admire him. But are they followers of Christ? Nope. All right. You, you might be willing to follow him. You might be willing to say, yeah, I'll put on the clothes. I'll go to church. I'll even, you know, tote my Bible with me. We used to joke around about people that had the big old study Bibles. You're just like, okay, they're compensating for something there, right? But you might be willing to follow God into church, but are you willing to follow him at work, in your life, at school, wherever it is that God's put you? Are you willing to follow him there? Are you willing to entrust yourself to him completely, even when the plan's not clear, even when you don't understand it all, believing that he has a purpose and a plan for you? Guys, if we don't connect with this love that God showed to us here, we're going to miss the whole point. That's the whole point. It's love. When they asked Jesus, what's the most important commandment? He said, love God, love your neighbor. It all boils down to love, right? We have to connect with that love. Now, does that mean that we just focus on the emotion? No, it doesn't. But we do have to look at things with fresh eyes. We do have to see what's really going on. If the uh, praise team would like to join me up here, we're going to close in just a minute. But I want to talk to you guys. Uh, there's, a, there's a theologian. His name's J.I. Packer, right? And he talked about this idea of connecting with love. He said, if I really understand God's love, why do I ever grumble or show discontent and resentment at the circumstances where God has placed me? Why am I ever distrustful, fearful, or depressed? Why do I ever allow myself to grow cool or formal or half-hearted in service to a God who loves me so much? Why do I ever allow my loyalty to be divided and not give him the whole of my heart? Guys, these are the questions and challenges that we have to present ourselves all the time. Why have we allowed things to get where they are? Why has a God that was so amazing to me when I first became a believer, why, has it, why does it not move me like it did? And it's not about emotion, right? It's not about getting the feely good feelings, get your goosebumps, you know, get slapped and, and run around and all that kind of stuff. When that happens, that's awesome. It's great. I love some church services like that, but that's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about hyper-emotionalism, but I am talking about being engaged and invested in realizing that, you know, this is more than just a story that we read every year because that's what we do, Right? Something important happened at this event. They rolled out the red carpet for Jesus. They acknowledged him. They said, you were the king, right? This is the son of David coming to his throne. He's coming. And see, they didn't get it. They didn't understand it. They thought that this was going to be the moment. 
King Jesus is going to take over. He's going to kick out the Romans, and we're going to have us the nation of Israel again. They didn't get it, but they didn't understand that it was a significant moment, but it was about showing God's love and hope for us. So my challenge for you today is this. Look at this scripture. Look at this passage. Look at Holy Week through some fresh eyes. And we're trying to provide some opportunities for that. We've had Palm Sunday today. We're doing the Maundy Thursday thing that Pastor talked to you about. Everybody make sure you get the communion elements for that. We're going we're gonna to take a moment. We're going to set aside a portion of our day to remember that Last Supper. And we're going to remember what Jesus did with his disciples and how he established this so that we could remember him. And when we take a moment to focus on what this is really about, when we look at it with fresh eyes, we might just be surprised what we see there. You know, going through the motions, it can make you feel good, right? I checked my box. I, I'm, a, I'm a checklist kind of person. I make my checklist every morning. And, you know, I don't always check them off. But when I do, man, man, that feels good. All right, I put a big red X on it feels good. I checked the box. But Christianity and your belief system and, and, and who you are in Christ, it can't be a checkbox. It can't be, well, I, I prayed. I, I read my Bible. Uh, I was kind to people. Check, check, check. I'm done. If that's where you're at, you're missing the point. So I challenge you, look at it with some fresh eyes. Now, we're going to sing a song. Um, when I was praying about this, I said, God, how do you want me to praise, uh, to, to close this? And, and how, how do you want us to, to interact with this truth that we've just looked at? And uh, one of those things is we will often sing songs, right? And how many of you guys have had a song that it's like the first time you heard it, even the first, second time you heard it, man, you were like, that was awesome, right? You really connect with the lyrics. You're like, man, that was so cool. The way the music flowed, the way the lyrics were, that dude's voice or, you know, whatever we think about that. And we're like, man, that was awesome. But then after we've heard it 14, 18, 27 times, it's like, okay, I've, I've heard that. I've been there. I've done that. Well, I want to, to take a moment, and this is going to be a practical application exercise, right? We are all going to stand up and we're going to sing this song together. And I want you to think about the lyrics of what we're saying. I want you to engage with it because I believe it communicates some of this truth that we're talking about right here. God is declaring his love for you, that he would give himself for you, and he has a plan for you, and he has a purpose for you. So take off the blinders, get rid of the, okay, I've sung this song before, I know how it goes, right? Focus on what we're saying and focus on what, it, 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 what God is trying to communicate to you and connect with it as we go into our holy week. All right, so we're going to sing this song. It's called Good, Good Father. I heard a thousand stories of what they think you're like. And I've heard a tender whisper of love in the dead of night. And you tell me that you're pleased and that I Never alone. You're a good, good father. It's who you are. It's who you are. It's who you are. And I'm loved by you. It's who I am.
Palm Sunday leading into Easter. Lord, we thank you for this triumphal procession, this moment in time that we can meditate on and place ourselves within. And Lord God, let us not just become used to it because we've heard this story before, but Lord God, help us to see the love that you had for us that was on display in that moment. Help us to see the plan that you had brought into past, Lord, and the plan that continues on today with our own redemption and salvation. Father God, help us to hold on to those moments. Whatever our moment might be, help us to see your love and your plan at work in each of those. We pray in the name of Jesus, Lord, for you are a good Father, and we know that we are loved by you, and we pray in Jesus' name.